So I was playing golf one day and one of the chaps I was playing with, he asked me if I'd come and speak to some of his people. I thought it was a school to begin with, but it turned out he worked at Headley Court, which is the British Military Rehabilitation Center. Yes. And, and that's in 2009, at the height of what was going on in Afghanistan. When I went in there and saw how many young people I saw, some with pretty horrendous injuries, I just thought I'm in a great position working in the game, being disabled myself. I had a chat with a few of them there and told them what had happened to me. And I saw a few of them looking back at me and it's almost like the penny drop, that there was yes. something they could do now. And, and that's when I thought, well, if we could start a charity which teaches golf on a long-term basis, and teaches them the etiquette and the rule and the history with the idea of then getting them some form of employment within the golf and related industries. If we could do that, that would be quite something. And that's where it all started. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. I'm excited to be back behind the mic for season 13 after taking a break for a couple of weeks. And hey, if you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, Thanks very much for joining us. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show to learn about our upcoming episode, listen to some previous ones, and to enter our latest golf product giveaway contest. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is John Simpson, who is the founder of the On Course Foundation, which supports the recovery of wounded, injured, and sick service personnel and veterans through golf. The On Course Foundation's mission is to build confidence and self-belief in their members through golf skills and employment events and set them on the path to meaningful full-time employment opportunities in the golf industry. So with that introduction, John, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. All the way from London. Yes, you're, uh, hmm. I guess, the evening time for you, or, or just after dinner. I'm here in Vancouver on the West Coast, so it's still morning time for me. But that's the beauty of technology is that we're able to connect and have these conversations wherever we are around the world. So, John, I would love to start, as I usually do on the Mod Golf Podcast, with an icebreaker question. And that's to ask about your connection to golf, your first golf experience. Who introduced you to the game? At what age? Can you recall the first time you ever had a golf club in your hand and hit a ball? So tell us about that, please. Well, I actually had just spent uh, about a year in hospital when I was 13 years old, having uh, two big operations on my leg due to polio. When I came out, my father, who played golf, was an ex-fighter pilot from the Second World War, Spitfires and Hurricanes. He said to me, you know, there's one game that you can play, even though you're now wearing a brace on your left leg, and I was finding it difficult to walk, is golf. He said to me that one day, just get a few lessons and practice, and there's a friend of mine I'd like you to meet. So I went out, mm. and I was so conscious of the fact that I could hardly stand up and hit a golf ball. I kept falling over, in fact, like a comedy right. sketch. You know, take the backswing and just crisp straight down. And then one day, cutting a long story short, I was hiding behind the caddy shack, and there was a bellow from the first tee, and there was this very tough-looking guy standing there, shouted my name, and I turned around and he said, listen, we'll play three holes. I'm George Keogh, the friend of your father. So I said, no, no, I haven't been on the golf course yet. He, he was so committed to getting me up there, I couldn't argue with him. Uh, he was a good golfer. If I remember rightly, he played off about six handicap. He was a doctor. And after my three shots got to his drive, and it was a very hot day, and I was struggling, really struggling walking and he turned around to me and he said, John, if you want to play this game, you've got to walk quicker than that. 
I, I couldn't believe a doctor could say that to me or anybody could. And I said, my leg hurts and this hurts and this is sore and this is rubbing. He said, come on, get on with it. On the second hole, he turns around and says the same thing to me, except with an expletive to say, we either continue you walk quicker or you go back to the clubhouse. I just couldn't believe anybody could speak to me like that. So I kept right. up with him. Forget the fact about the golf. I just kept up with him. We got into the clubhouse. He waited uh, in the changing room till everybody had gone. And he looked at me and he took his trousers down. And I thought, oh, God, this is a great ending to a great day. I can't run away. And he's taking his trousers down. And he had one amputated leg below the knee. And wow. the other one was in such a mess, I couldn't even look at it. And he said, John, never, ever complain about your leg because nobody wants to hear about it. Let's go wow. and have a drink. And he bought me my first drink. And I was just 14 years old. So maybe it came that turned out to be a very good day. <laughs> wow. That is quite mm. the story. Thank you for sharing that with us, John. And that's yeah. with our first uh, invitation to golf. Sometimes it needs to be warm and welcoming and sometimes just like mentorship. Sometimes we need someone to support us and it kind of gently nudges. And sometimes we just need someone to challenge us and to push us. And it yeah. sounds like you had a bit of both on that day over three holes there. And well, wow. Yep. So that really set the foundation, pardon the pun here, for everything yeah. you've created with the On Course Foundation. So so let's move mm. a, a little bit forward. I understand 13 years ago when you launched the On Course Foundation, if I get that correct, but obviously there was a lead up between then. So, so tell us about, no. so we talk about an entrepreneurship and building a platform and a purpose behind that. Tell us about the years that ran up to that, your other experiences in golf and life that then formulated your rationale and your reason and motivation and energy to then create the On Course Foundation. Sure. Golf was absolutely brilliant for me. It helped with my confidence and self-esteem. By the age of 16, I got down to seven handicap. I went to school. I really didn't enjoy school that much, but got on with it. And then I went to college and did a business studies I came out and I'd read about Mark McCormack, the International Management Group, and how they, he managed the big three in golf and they were expanding. And I just thought to myself, the sport is going to be the future business because people, I thought, were going to have more and more leisure time. So I thought nothing gained, nothing lost. And I, I wrote a letter to Mark McCormack and I was a wee bit cheeky because I was trying to think what made it different from many of the other letters he'd be getting yes. from young people. So I told him what I'd done, which was not a lot by then business-wise, at the end that he couldn't go on much longer without me. And he must have thought, <laughs> who is this idiot? And the rest is history. I joined IMG. My brief was to sign other golfers outside of America. And you talk about luck, which I've been very lucky in my life. The first three we signed was Nicky Price, Nick Faldo, mm -hmm. and Bernard Langer, which is not a bad three ball to kick off a career wow. with. That's, so um, yeah, you're trifecta right there. <laughs> yeah, well so done. and I finished with the guys I managed won 17 majors between them, and I had a whole career in golf. 20 years I spent at IMG, but I must say Mark got his own back on me with that bit of naughty humor I thought at the time in this letter. And I had a four month trial. I went to see him, and he was quite interested in what been going on, but I was more interested to know whether I'd made it or not. Just to fill your, your listeners in, in those days, there was a new company who were in tennis, just started in golf, called ProServe. Okay. So after this 15-minute conversation with Mark, he said, that I suppose you're wondering what we've all thought about your four-month trial. So I was trying to be cool. And he said, well, I personally think you've got a hell of a career in this business, but I think it's with ProServe. 
<laughs> so I went from up here to down and, and then he burst out laughing. He got me back, obviously. He certainly did. Well, if you're going to be cheeky, yeah. you have to expect to get cheeky back, right? And it sounds like you certainly exactly right with that one. Yeah, if you're going to dish it out, you have to be able to take it, right? Correct. <laughs> so I'd love to hear the origin story of the On Course Foundation. What led up to this? So you have the career in golf, so you're connected with the community. You have the partnerships in place, or at least the ability to really activate those. You've obviously seen a lot in golf in your own personal story with being inflicted with polio as a child. Mm. So tell us about that. What did you see with wounded veterans, injured and sick service personnel? What was the first step, I guess, is the best way to put this, well, John? Because you don't do it go from zero to 100 or create the Simpson Cup that we're going to talk about and all these other things. Yeah. So what was that first step that you saw to dip your toe into this to see how you can help these people that you've done such a wonderful job of helping over the last decade and a half? Sure. Well, basically what happened was it was a bit fortuitous. I was playing golf one day. I played quite well that day. And one of the chaps I was playing with, I wasn't too sure what he did, but he asked me if I'd come and speak to some of his people. I thought it was a school to begin with, but it turned out he worked at Headley Court, which is the British Military Rehabilitation Centre. And and that's in 2009, at the height of what was going on in Afghanistan. And very simply, when I went in there and saw how many young people I saw, some with pretty horrendous injuries, I just thought, you know, I'm in a great position working in the game, being disabled myself. I had a a little chat with a few of them there and told them what had happened to me. And I saw a few of them looking back at me and it's almost like the penny dropped, that there was something they could do now. And one guy in particular who turned out to be the first guy that we actually who joined on course and I went to speak to him and because he was sitting in the crowd I didn't realize until I got to see him that he had no legs and that was Greg Stevenson the Royal Marine or commando rather now playing off 16 handicap and has just got trials for rowing for Britain in the Paralympic Games amazing so it was amazing and he's got a job and that's when I thought well if we could start a charity which teaches golf on a long-term basis and teaches them the etiquette and the rule and the history with the idea of then getting them into uh, some form of employment within the golf and related industries. If we could do that, that would be quite something. And that's where it all started. So after that experience, getting invited there to Headley Court, sounds like that had a profound impact on you to be an agent of change. So what was the next step? Because we know in entrepreneurship and in building something like this, what you've created, you cannot do it alone. So what was your next step then? Did you already in your mind formulate how you would activate this? Or how, how did you go about then figuring out, because you could do anything or maybe do nothing. So what did you determine? What was the first thing you tried? Like we talk about in entrepreneurship, what was your minimum viable product or your beta test? What did you sure. do next and who did you do that well, with, John? The first thing I thought of, and it seems obvious with my IMG background, but we need money to make this all happen. Mm -hmm. You can't expect people to do things for nothing. And number two, one thing that I felt that was in my favor, dealing with these guys with these injuries and girls, of course, was that if you had said to them with great respect, you could play golf, come on, let's try it. They would look at you, they wouldn't say anything, but they'd say, hold on a minute, you've got two good arms, two good legs. How would you know what I could do? I haven't got any legs or I haven't got an arm or whatever. So being disabled myself, and I think working in the golf industry to show that you can overcome all this was a real plus and help. And then raising money was, I'm sure your listeners will uh, understand this, I got no help from any government. 
And all I got from a lot of different people, there's always doubters, isn't there? Very few Absolutely. people give you a pat and say, you can do this. People were saying to me, oh, John, I'm not sure about this. Do you know that 75% of all charities started have gone bankrupt within three years? Yeah, I do realize that, but I'm not <laughs> going to let that happen. Right. So, And the great thing about golf, you can do fundraisers at golf clubs. There's so many good charities around, but to actually bring the guys and girls down to be part of that who have been injured, both physically and mentally, there's no buffer, better ambassadors to show what we're doing than to actually play golf with them. And the wow factor is just unbelievable. Yes. yes. So raising money on that side and then on the event side, again, with my IMG background, I thought if we could create an event that would, A, raise awareness of the On Course Foundation, raise money for the On Course Foundation, and give the guys and girls something to work towards, to attain and to try and see if they can represent their countries again. And that's how the Simpson Cup came about. In 2012, we started off at TPC Sawgrass. I just felt with sponsors and raising money and doing what I had done, I wanted the very best golf courses for these guys and girls to play on. And when you think Congressional, Oak Hill, and we just finished at Baltusrol a few weeks ago, yes. and in Britain, every one of them has been an open venue including St. Andrews in 2019. Wow. So the very best golf courses for these guys and girls. I'm very pleased to say that the Baltus role, we're just getting the figures together, but it looks like we've raised just over half a million dollars. Amazing. Congratulations which, on, on which that. Which is great because America, us Brits realize more than the Americans and Canadians, a huge country again, that Britain fits into Florida. Yeah. The size of America is huge. And when you think there's just under 4 million injured American servicemen, on average, the latest figures show it's a horrible statistic and makes me even more determined to do what we're doing and really get America as best as we can get it with our numbers. I think it's something at the moment, 22 injured American servicemen commit suicide every day. Yes, yes. Which is horrific, absolutely horrific. So I've had the pleasure to speak to some other people that are working in a similar space. I'm sure you know them all, mm. whether they're para-athletes in the golf space. Oh, yeah. Also are working in events, work with the Veterans Association, with the VA. But it really sounds like you're bringing all this together, mm. not only to raise awareness, but to give a sense of purpose. Because it's not only the physical trauma and challenges, but also the psychological trauma that uh, you, you touched on the suicide rates that are just saddening and yeah. be able to use well, golf think, as a platform to give people purpose is just incredible. It really well, is. The thing is, what I think is amazing, keeping it very simple, these guys and girls, the operations and what they're doing to save their lives is quite extraordinary. The rehab they have is second to none. It's brilliant. Some of these legs and arms they work were computer driven. Sometimes you have to look twice to see that the guy's got no legs. You can't realize it. Yes. But then after all this, there's a tap on the shoulder and say, sorry about all this. Thanks for your service. Goodbye. Then they go back, sometimes the very place they were trying to get away from. Yes. You know, with America so huge and the follow-up systems don't always work. So to actually say to them, look, how would you like to come along to a three-day event and try golf? They're back then with their comrades, which they miss. People understand what they've been through, speak the same language. They've left the other family they had, which was the military. Now they get back with them 
And sometimes, which I think is amazing, we all have to be careful. We don't feel too sorry for ourselves occasionally. But when you actually see that people are worse off than you, it makes you feel, hold on, come on, I'm not as bad off as I thought I was. And we can do this. And of course, the other thing that I love is the humor, making fun of each other, sometimes to a point where people who don't understand the military humor get quite worried. So it thinks you, you can't say that, can you? Well, you can mm-hmm. because we're both disabled. We can get away with that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you can't. They can. I cannot. <laughs> right. That's <Yeah>, correct. <laughs> we are now going to take a short break to tell you about something new from the Mod Golf Podcast. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Mod Golf Pro Shop, where you, as part of our Mod Golf community, receive exclusive discounts on curated golf products that I love and support. We are partnering with DeWiz, Deuce, Kinona, Back to Basics Golf, Project 72 Golf, and Odin Golf to provide a curated selection of golf essentials to help you play better and look great while you're doing it. Use promo code MODGOLF for between 10 and 20% off your purchases to receive the best exclusive pricing that our partners offer. Go to www.modgolfpodcast.com to check out the golf gear that our fabulous brand partners are ready to deliver to your doorstep. That's the Mod Golf Pro Shop at www.modgolfpodcast.com. So I'm very interested to learn more about the programming you have. So if I understand you've got, I believe you call it like the events or or training onboarding Mm -hmm. program for Mm -hmm. injured service people that haven't even had a golf club in their hand for the first time. So that onboarding program, you also have the employment program that are very interested in. And I want to talk a little more on the back end about your flagship event, which is the Simpson Cup, Mm. of course. Mm. But all this to me seems like you're creating community. You talked about with service people, of course, having the military as their community. And once they come back, that becomes unraveled in a lot of cases. They still have their family, but in some cases there's challenges there also. So it sounds like you're really creating a sense of community and purpose because we all need purpose. We all need belonging. We all need a sense of what we do matters. And I really feel, John, that what you're creating here or have created with On Course Foundation is one of your pillars. So can you expand on that to start first, the the sense of community that you've created and perhaps one story around one or two people that have been onboarded that are part of your community that you can share with us, success stories? Sure. The interesting thing is, and I was very lucky working in the game of golf worldwide. And when you say to someone, they say to you, what do you do? And you tell them, when you say you work in golf, it's the wow factor. They go, oh my God, I'd love to do that. The great thing about golf and golf courses, they're all around major cities to to little villages. So there's a form of employment there, whether part-time or full-time. And I think that if you take the fact that 95% of the guys and girls that come to our first introduction to golf, and say around 80% of them that we have, have never played golf properly before their injuries. They all manage to hit with great pros that we have. They hit the wow shot within the first morning session. And you know what happens then. You've got them. You're hooked. So absolutely. And it's the only game that I know of that if you're disabled or injured in any way, you can play on a level playing field with the able-bodied. I love it when we turn up somewhere. And the other day, Nick, who's a triple amputee, just got one arm and now playing off 15. When you see him walking towards you, I can see most people going, oh my, what do we do here? He doesn't have to say anything. There's no adaptions. Okay, he's having a cart on the way around. Yes. But all he says is, hello, how are you? 
I'm off 15 handicap. What's yours? The confidence you get from saying that, and then you beat them, (laughs) is tremendous. And I think that the employment was sort of a natural progression. I'll give you a couple of examples. Over here, we had a guy that had a head injury and had to have an operation on his brain, but he was okay, but obviously had to leave the military. One of the things we do is get work experience for them in different ideas, depending on the injuries or the interests. And he wanted to work outside. So we spoke to Royal Lytham, where the Simpson Cup is next year. And they've hosted 11 Opens. That's not too shabby either over the years. Not bad. They said, look, we'd love to help. We'd love to do a four or five week work experience, which he passed with flying colors. He then became part of their team. And one day they'd got this machine in, some sort of machine that they rented for a couple of days to do something to the golf course. And it broke down. And people forget these guys and girls are actually very well trained in, in many different areas. Of course, And he absolutely. said, being an engineer, sure, he said, I can fix this. So he had it working and fixed within uh, two hours rather than 24, they said, before they could send someone. Two years later, he started a new job at Wentworth, one of the best clubs in the south of England here. And he's in charge of all machinery at Wentworth Golf Club. Amazing. So he's got his employment as well. And, and when we were at Bolter's Rule, I was really chuffed because we've got a below-knee amputee that actually lives around seven miles from Baltusrol. He's a 20-handicap golfer. We were talking to him, and before he left, he had some interviews at Baltusrol, and I'm delighted to tell you they employed him and signed all the contracts the Monday after the event. So he's now employed working at Baltusrol, and that is what it's all about, and that gives them the joy of playing golf and all that goes with it that we all know about. But then to work in the industry, have a purpose and to show your family you've got a salary and you're back in society. I love this. You have created a platform with purpose. Wow. So I want to talk a bit more about the Simpson Cup. So if I understand some of the imagery I've seen, because you have Encore Foundation UK and then Encore Foundation USA. So from what I've seen with some of the graphics, is this a Ryder Cup style format where you've got teams or is this individual play? So tell us about that. Tell us about the format of the Simpson Cup. Right. Well, the format was, as I said, primarily to give the guys and girls something to work towards. So we thought to have a Ryder Cup style event a wee bit different, to raise money as well and the awareness. So they arrive on a Saturday, they get rid of jet lag and uh, all the rest of it. Then they have a practice round on Sunday, usually with the members, and the members love that, to show them where not to hit it and where to hit it and all the rest of it. Yes. Then we have an opening ceremony on uh, a Sunday evening and at dinner, which the sponsors love. And I must say, I think it's fantastic because you get the military bands coming, you feel very proud to be of the countries in, in question, but also of what they've done. And it's, it's a very powerful thing to see. And then I said the dinner. And then on the Monday, all the sponsors will play with the uh, American and British teams, you know, individually. So they have one of them in each team, generally play a Texas scramble, which obviously the sponsors love and the members love. The Tuesday is uh, four ball when the, the actual tournament starts and then singles on Wednesday, and then a closing ceremony. Love that, love that. So leading up to this, how do you qualify for the Simpson Cup? Do you have qualifying events in the UK and in the US? Or tell us a bit about that, yeah. sort of leading, well, leading up to it's, it. How- it's quite interesting, in the, in the one at TPC, we just had to pick some players that we weren't old enough. Now, in America, we've got three, and I think it'll be four qualifying 
events next okay. year. In Britain, it's three. We also have some picks that the committee would pick some players to have. I was really excited, actually, by the fact in this year's event at Bolter's Roll, we had 11 rookies, which I think shows that we've got a whole new generation and refunding all the time. A girl on each team. And we had also a Congressional Medal of Honor, which was quite something. I suppose you can take it from any walk of life. And people that really have done something, you would never know looking at them. They're not around showing what a big deal they were. You wouldn't even know if they walked in the room. Right. That's what it's all about. It was just very interesting talking to all these guys. And every one of them and has got a great story to tell. And the most important thing, and it sounds almost like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. When a guy or girl looks you in the eyes and says, the Encourse Foundation has saved me. It's very powerful stuff. Wow. I was just going to say it. Wow. We all need pride, self-worth, <laughs> and dignity. I cannot relate to this personally, but just through the conversation we're having and me listening to the stories coming out of the military, especially with some major debilitating, mm. life-altering injury or multiple injuries, your purpose, your self-worth, your dignity have been stripped away in some sense in trying to redefine mm. yourself. It sounds like you have created a very simple platform to help reclaim self-worth and dignity and purpose. Mm. It's amazing. Really is. No, I, I, that was very well said, actually. But the thing that amazes me in that Simpson Cup, I think, again, people will find this difficult to believe, but one American and one Brit in the Simpson Cup team both had the same injury, which is above knee, left leg amputation. Both of them got hooked on this game, and both of them have now turned pro. Chad Pfeiffer's played on the um, lesser tour in the States. Mike Brown has just won a tournament in Ireland a few weeks ago. And he's, he told me the other day he's got another course record, professional course record. Wow. So to see that they can get to that level is quite something. Obviously, not everybody does that, but shows you it, you just get hooked on it. And then the other thing I just think is amazing, we have a couple of regiments in the British Army called the Gurkhas, and they yes. are from Nepal. And I would best express them as being tough guys over mm -hmm. the years. One of the guys that came to us, a chap called Harry, he has both legs amputated above the knee. And uh, we got him playing golf. He got his self-confidence and esteem back. He played in the Simpson Cup at Maidstone in the Hamptons. And a year later, he said to me, John, I'm not going to be playing much golf over the next foreseeable future, four or five years. I thought he was injured or something. He said, I've got to do something. I said, what's that? And he said, climb Everest. Wow. Well, all I can tell you, he's got six world records, as I'm speaking right now, including he's the first ever double amputee above me to climb Mont Blanc, the highest mountain in Europe. And he's climbed the second highest in Nepal. And the expedition for climbing Everest is next year. And the great thing that I, I just love is he wants to hit a golf ball off the top of Everest for the On Course Foundation. So because <laughs> he that. climbs in these little legs called stompies, which is the legs they learn. If you've got no legs, that's what you learn to walk on. Okay. They're quite short. And so we've had to have a very short golf club with a huge grip because of his gloves and everything. And I'm just hoping when it all happens, he doesn't manage to hit the only plane flying past just below him and cause a major 
incident but uh, we laughed about that and somebody said laughingly you could auction that club for a lot of money afterwards and the ball so I said yeah who the hell's going to go down and fight <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good luck idea, with that but yeah, yeah that, so that's that really to show you, you yeah but isn't that great for a guy like that and he's doing it I mean I'm telling you he's unbelievable I, I love these inspirational stories so with that I wanted to ask you this with these people that have these unbelievable stories of transformation and grit and sense of purpose also do they become ambassadors for Encore's foundation do they help you then amplify the signal and cast that bigger net to be ambassadors as i mentioned of what you do to open up the possibilities for others because i'm sure there's still millions of potential service people that have been injured that have no idea the awareness, kind of like through the marketing funnel. They're sure. not even aware of what the possibility is. So they're struggling in silence and, mm. and alone and not realizing the opportunity. So how do you go about with OnCourse Foundation to reach and access service people that may not even know that you exist and all the benefits sure. there are to get involved with golf? Well, one of the things is obviously through the rehab centers, um, mm. they know what we're doing. There's always a slight problem with that sometimes. You get one person working in a rehab center, military-wise, who gets totally what we do and is on top of it. And then somebody else comes in who doesn't get golf. The guy gets posted somewhere else, or the girl. And the other one thinks, oh, golf, what's all going off and just hitting the ball and having a few drinks? And then they have to be taught what we're actually doing is not that. And, of course, the other one is by word of mouth, by some of the sponsors we have, like Charles Schwab, who are the second biggest sponsors of golf on the U.S. tour. They did a thing on, on the Simpson Cup and me and the On Course Foundation for a, a thing called the Challenges in Golf, Okay, and uh, which is a great video, actually. From that, they've done a one-minute version, which they've been using as a TV commercial. So that gives awareness to a lot of people. And the more I can do of things like this that people can hear and say, well, maybe not me, but my friend down the road is an injured veteran. The other thing that's great is we employ quite a few of them ourselves. So there's nothing better as an ambassador when the new guys and girls arrive and they question what the hell they're doing there. And you get yes. a, a guy, a double empty or one, standing up there and hitting it uh, 230 yards down the middle. They can do it. We can do it sort of thing. Well, that that saying of in order to be one, you need to see one. And that mm. would certainly inspire people. I guess you see it on a, almost a daily basis. And that's impactful incredibly impactful no it is with the work seeing is believing because I, I still find it difficult i was with a, a double amputee the other day playing and there was a few people just happened to be what i love it sometimes they're looking but they don't want him to know that they're looking right because <laughs> they couldn't believe <laughs> and we measured his drive and it was 238 yards wow which you know with no legs straight down the middle by the way that's and he incredible. plays off seven handicap He'd have to give me nine strokes because I'm a 16. So yeah, he'd have to he'd have to give me he'd have to give me nine to make it even. <laughs> and I have great. no I have no excuses except uh, maybe lack of talent and not working at it hard enough. Those are my two golf excuses. Uh, but I still love the I love the game nonetheless. Absolutely. Yeah, so certainly. to finish up, I have this question for you, John. Before we jump over to our video call, we're going to jump on Zoom there because of course we have our Mod yeah. Golf YouTube channel. So you and I are going to mix it up, cool. ask some different questions. I want to hear about the future 
uh, and all the possibilities with the OnCourse Foundation there. So we'll hold off on that part of the conversation. But to finish up, I'm quite interested to hear as far as the, the charitable piece with the money that you raise. And it sounds like with the Simpson Cup, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, wow, it's, you, you raised a lot of money. So hmm. where does that money go? How do you make the greatest impact with the money that you raise? Well, the, the impact is really getting people to come along to the three-day events mm. uh, where we teach them on a long-term basis. With this money we've just raised, we're going into Texas, which is the home of many veterans, and California, because we've been basically down the East Coast. That's the real key to get them to a stage, and this takes time, obviously. And the other thing that I should have known and I didn't know, one of the guys, to give you an example, it's not a short-term fix, he was playing to about 24 handicap after about a year. I said, look, great, you're right on track and we've got these events next year and these months and the office discussed with him where he can come. And he said, well, I've got to go back for another operation. And stupidly, I thought that was it. And he was part of the team. He's had 12 operations since then. Wow. These things are ongoing. They still love the game, but sometimes even to a thing that is extraordinary, but with legs and below knee amputations, sometimes the brain is tricked. And we've had a few guys that their bones are starting to grow out of their stump and they have to have them shaved. So that's another operation. Right, right. So I, I just don't understand all that, but it, believe me, it happens. So wow. they're told often that this is the operations, but we'll have to do this in the future or this is going to happen or the good leg has to be looked at or because it's taking all the pressure from the fact you haven't got the other one. Right. So it's not a short-term fix. This is a long-term. Golf is a game that goes on forever. The older you get with the handicap system, you can still get out there and bash it around. So it's a long-term thing, this. And one thing I would say that, again, talking to some of the other military charities, and we're quite lucky when we've got the Simpson Cup to raise money, it seems like if there's nothing on the news to talk about, thank goodness, injured servicemen being wounded rather or being killed if there's nothing on the news the money you raise drops dramatically because mm. it's out of their mind and i'm saying hold on yes we've got thousands that have been injured that there's not a miraculous thing that they're all fit again and yes. i can assure you it doesn't get easier with age when you're injured it gets harder so that's why i'm saying it's a long-term goal here Wow. Well, I, I love the work that you're doing here, John. And it sounds like coming out the other side of COVID that the potential for growth with OnCourse Foundation is wherever you want to take it, perhaps here in Canada, because we have lots of wounded warriors here too. Sure. And, and golf is, a lot of people don't know this, we have more golfers per capita in Canada than any other country in the world. And more yeah. golf courses per capita than, uh, than any other country in the world, more than the US. So we are golf mad up here, golf crazy. So I tell you what, we would love to do that. Let's talk about that because I, I would love to do that. And the other thing I can tell you, which I didn't realize until I came in at IMG, there was a chap called Sir Bob Charles, and he was the first left-hander ever to win a major. Okay. And, and when I came into IMG, I was asked to renegotiate his club deal, obviously being left-handed. And again, I didn't realize where the major market for left-handed golfers is, and it's Canada. Yes, it is. They always wanted to keep him because of Canada, the company. So he was with them for a long time because it was such a big market for a left-handed golfer. Do you know the fun fact of why there's a disproportionate number of left-handed golfers in Canada as compared to any other country? Ice hockey. You nailed it. Ding, ding, <laughs> ding. That's the right answer. It is. It's hockey. That's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, John, we could keep going on here, but we want to finish up. 
This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you have here today. But before you go, can you share with our listeners if they want to find out more about Encore's foundation with your website and other places they can find you? Where can people learn more about Encore's foundation? Sure. Well, the best one for you guys would be EncoursFoundationUSA.org or in the Brits, it's EncoursFoundation.com. We're on all the email and, and all the information is there. We'll talk about that maybe later, but one thing I am aware of and always have been, now we've, we're doing so well, we would love to look at Canada because I know how many injured servicemen are there and I know what golf could do for them. Not just a quick hit, but on a long-term basis with the idea of jobs as well. Well, I know some people that I'm connected with here in Canada that I can make an introduction to. Who knows? You may know some of these people already, but I'm happy to. No, uh, well, I, I to, would love that. that. I would love that. There we go. Well, John, why don't we leave Great. it at that? So, John Simpson, founder of Encore Foundation and the Simpson Cup. Thank you so much for sharing your story here today with our listeners on the Mod Golf Podcast. This has been amazing. So, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Nice speaking to you. So, that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.